Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents with your host, Nicole Romito. Nicole, it's so good to be back with you. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Just living the dream. How are things going with you? I think, yeah, I'm living the dream. I think that's a good way to put it. It's, uh, you know, days are going by really, really fast, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but uh, I think yep. it's more good right now. Uh, you have another guest that you've brought onto the podcast, and I can't wait to hear what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, today in studio with me, I have Lori Kaplan, who is um, a CPA. And you know, I'm a tax geek at heart. So I'm very much <laughs> looking forward to chatting with Lori about the recent Secure 2.0 Act that was signed in the law uh, near the end of last year. So Lori and I are going to spend some time discussing um, the highlights of it. Um, and there's a lot of good things packed into it. So I think we're going to have a, a very action-packed and information-full conversation today. Yeah, I heard that thing is like a ton of pages. And so there's just a huge amount to cover. I know that you guys aren't going to be able to cover it all in today's podcast, but I'm looking forward to what you're sharing. Yes, great. So with that, before we get into uh, some of the highlights that Lori's going to share with us, I'd like to uh, share with our listeners a little bit about her. So um, Lori Kaplan is a CPA. She's a partner with Michael Silver. She also serves as co-chair of the firm's estate practice area, as well as the head of the firm's trust practice. She has served as a trusted advisor to clients for over 25 years, managing and addressing tax and accounting issues within a variety of industries. Lori has extensive experience in providing tax planning services to her clients, as well as partnering with the client and their advisors regarding wealth transfer strategies. So, Lori, now that our listeners know a little bit about you professionally, would you share a little bit about how you like to spend your time when you're not serving your clients? <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. This time of year, there isn't a whole lot of that time, but <laughs> okay, when I do fair. have it, <laughs> when I do have it, I love spending time with my family. I love baseball. So I'm very excited that it's uh, spring training starting and baseball season soon. That's great. That'll certainly give you something to look forward to uh, as you're going through the heart of your busy season. For sure. Good reason to take a break. Yes. Yes. I love it. Are you, uh, what's your favorite team to root for? Oh, absolutely. The Chicago Cubs. Oh, okay. Great. Well, hopefully, is this going to be their year or is it another year of rebuilding? I think something in between. I think okay. it'll, maybe they won't make the playoffs, but I expect it to be a much better year this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, being a Cubs fan, I would say hope springs eternal every season, right? For sure. So, well, one thing where we don't want to count on uh, hope or wishing <laughs> and things like that would be when it comes to your tax planning. <laughs> So why don't we start in as, you know, as we talked about, there's a lot to unpack here with the Secure 2.0 Act. You and I put together kind of some highlights that we want to share with our listeners. I think 
One of the things we want to start about is there were some proposed regulations that were recently uh, issued about a year ago, and there were some clarifications. I know I got a lot of questions, even though I'm not a CPA. Um, as I mentioned in your bio, you know, we often work together on behalf right. of the client. So one of the things I'd love to highlight is like the 10-year rule. I don't know if you want to start with that one. There was lots of confusion around that. Absolutely. And that was, I mean, really, really kind of threw the um, IRA plan and estate planning world on their heads. You know, it's, um, yes. So one of the experts in this area, Natalie Choate, among others, agreed that, you know, the 10 year rule would basically replace the old five year rule, which meant that, you know, if you fell under this rule, you'd have five years to take out the distribution. So you could take nothing the first four years and take it all in year five. So everybody, pretty much the whole industry was thinking, okay, we've got the 10-year rule. It would work the exact same way. Sure. So we don't have to take anything years one through nine, and we could take it all in year 10 if we want. And then the IRS just decided for fun that they would say, <laughs> no, it's not going to work that way. In addition to that aspect of the 10-year rule, there's another different code section that says you have to take a distribution every year if you have already started taking distributions. So for someone who had already reached their required beginning date, so they had to take RMDs every year before they died, the, their beneficiaries have to keep taking distributions every year. So and years one at, through nine. Is it at the same rate as the decedent or is it recalculated over the 10-year period? Now, it's basically, you're going to continue it over the schedule, more or less, that you were using for the decedent's life. Okay. Because you still don't have a designated beneficiary per se in there for this purpose. So the 10-year rule, well, I mean, so they're taking it, the 10-year, the distributions every year for years one through nine. They can take more, you know, so we can still do some planning for brackets, et cetera. But then in year 10, you have to empty the account by the end of year 10. And, you know, a lot of people relied on their, this understanding and said, no, we don't have to take distributions in they didn't take them in um, 21 or, you know, weren't sure what still what to do in 22. Right. And, you know, it was nice. They came out with clarity in a notice they issued late 2022 that said there's not going to be any penalties until we resolve all this because there is so much confusion, which was great. So nobody has to go back and catch up those um, distributions that were th in theory they're supposed to make and didn't. Um, you know, these are proposed regulations, as you mentioned, Nicole, but the guidance the IRS has come out with since then has still it still makes everybody think they're going to stick with this. We don't okay. think, unfortunately, we don't think they're going to change and do it the way that we all thought it should be done. So, it, like you said, even though it's based on what has come out and then any additional guidance, if the person whom from whom you inherited the IRA was taking they were in the part of their life where they had to take the RMD or required minimum distributions, and you're the beneficiary of that IRA, you need to be taking at least that amount out every year. And then if you do only that in year 10, you're going to have a larger distribution because you need to fully distribute the account out by the 10th year. No, that's correct. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if they if they weren't in already taking their distributions, then their beneficiary can take everything in your town if they want. Okay. You know, they they have complete flexibility. 
All right. That's a big distinction. And I agree with you. There was so much confusion around that. And then um, for people like us, Lori, who are advising the clients and doing things like that, I know it was um, it was very tricky last year because they didn't come out until more towards the end of the year saying, hey, we're not going to penalize you if you didn't take them out. Right. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to add around that particular item? I think the only other thing is they talk a lot about the ghosting rule, which is when somebody has already died and there's no designated beneficiary. In that case, you may not have the 10-year rule apply. You might have this other rule where you still keep taking it over you know, the same way you did before. So I think the main takeaway I would tell our listeners, your listeners, is just if you have any questions or this is your situation, be sure you talk to your tax advisor so that you make sure you, you handle it properly. Yes, I agree with that. I feel like there's been talk um, maybe over the last five, six years about simplifying the tax code and things like that. And I I, know, I always laugh as well because I'm like, hmm, you keep using the word simplify. I do not think that word means what you think it means, right? So Every time they simplify, they seem to add a you know, few hundred pages. Exactly. Least. Well, if anything, it um, certainly keeps you busy and uh, growing your area of knowledge. So Absolutely. there is that. Maybe what we could do, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but we talked about that they did say there would not be a penalty if you did not take the distribution. Can we maybe jump to that next and talk about the relief of penalties and what the penalty was, what it's going to, so our listeners can understand that? Okay. So basically, if you miss taking a a required distribution, it's always had a 50% penalty. So if you were required to take $2,000 $2,000 is a distribution. The penalty is $1,000, which is really onerous. Yeah, very steep. I mean, extremely. And I think be- maybe because of that, we've had pretty good track record of getting penalty relief from the IRS in those situations. But it's just way too much. It was pretty, you know, felt pretty egregious to most people. So what they came out with in this new um, set of proposed regs is that the penalty is reduced to 25% instead of 50%. And if you correct it within the two years of when you're supposed to take the distribution, it would actually be limited to 10%, which is much more reasonable. Yes, much more reasonable. So, okay, good. Yeah, I think that is better for the end user or the end consumer, if you will. A little more reasonable. It definitely is. The only interesting aspect to it is just talking to some of the attorneys that are involved in this. There's some concern that once it's lowered to 10% or to even the 25 that the IRS may and be a little stronger on enforcing it because mm. I feel it's more reasonable. So that's was kind of an interesting reaction, I thought, to that. Oh, yeah. That is an interesting counterpoint, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I feel generally when I'm talking about anything with tax laws, it's, you know, the, the IRS giveth and the IRS taketh. <laughs> so <laughs> for sure. So good. What about, let's maybe switch now a little bit of some of the other opportunities that have come to light with this new um, law. Why don't we start with some of the things that open up for people who have money in IRAs or retirement plans, and they're also charitably inclined? Okay. So one of the things that a lot of our users like to do is take advantage of what we call qualified charitable distributions. And the IRS allows you to take $100,000 every year. And you can basically pay it directly from your IRA to a charity, a qualified charity. 
and that it basically will, you know, on your return, we show it is not taxable, that part of the IRA distribution. You don't get to double dip, no charitable contribution also, but it does save you money on taxes. And this does kick in at age 70 and a half, even though you don't have to take distributions at that age anymore. It's not the starting date. And that's um, a key thing I would just like to highlight is because mm-hmm. in your, I know in your next point, you're going to talk about how they have um, delayed when you need to start taking your required minimum distributions. But for our listeners, if you are in the group where you may not need to take it till age 72 or 73, if you mm-hmm. are age 70 and a half or better, you can still take advantage of what's called the qualified charitable distribution or uh as many of my listeners know in finance, we love our acronyms. So QCD. Um, so I just did want to kind of reiterate that, Lori, because I think that's sure. a really important point that a lot of people don't know. And the other thing to add on is not only does it not flow through on your tax return as um, taxable income, it can help you manage if you're having any type of like Medicare premium surcharges because right. then it wouldn't flow through and show up as income that could cause you to be paying higher premiums for Medicare. No, that's correct. And it's also just a nice way if you do have a lot of money in your retirement account that you don't necessarily need all of it to live on later in life. It's a way to kind of bring that account down without paying taxes. Yes, absolutely. So if you get to the point, it could cause for perhaps a lower required minimum distribution in the future. Right. And then the charity's getting 100% of the dollar for dollar. Right. So two things that happen with that is up till now, it has been a set $100,000, no adjustment for inflation. That will be changing under these new guidelines. So that will be indexed for inflation. The other thing that they put in here, so People will be able to put $50,000 into a charitable trust or charitable gift annuity. This will be a portion of that $100,000. It doesn't replace it. It's a one-time thing. Um, And what's nice about a charitable annuity is what that means is those people get a stream of income for life. So let's say you're charitably inclined, but you're concerned about running out of your own money. It's a way because you will still get something back every year. You know, you would get a tax deduction for what you do put in, but the um, when you die, basically whatever's left in that account stays with the charity. They do allow charitable remainder trusts, which is a nice tool in in and of itself. Problem is, that most of the attorneys that I've talked to aren't willing to do a draft a document for a fifty thousand dollar contribution, right? You know, for twenty fifty thousand dollar trust, or hundred thousand most if you do it combined with your spouse. But what's nice is a lot of the charities have qualified gift, you know, have these charitable gift annuities set up through them. And a lot of them have a minimum as low as like $5,000. So oh, you nice. Can, so, so they have a them. template set mm-hmm. up and you can call whatever your charity you want to mm-hmm. support. Probably, I'm sure a lot of the larger ones have it set up. Okay. That is a good workaround. And, and that's an easy, you know, they're, they're definitely set up to take this kind of money from yes. people. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I think with the 50000 um, certainly it's... Uh, a sizable amount for the charity, but I would the income stream you would get off of that really wouldn't. It, it's something, but it's probably not going to move the needle for most people. I don't think so, but it might make them a little more comfortable with making that contribution. Yep, absolutely, because you're giving up the right to the fifty thousand. You have Correct. an income stream, depending on how you're structuring it. You know, you have that, so it can help supplement other things. And one thing I'd like to just add to the discussion, because not everybody realizes, is, you know, you do have to make these contributions directly to a qualified charity. 
So we have a lot of clients that use donor advised funds and they do not count for this purpose. Yeah, that's a very um, important point because I know when the the qualified charitable uh, distribution came into effect, that was really the first question most of our clients were asking. Oh, great. Let's just do it right to our donor <laughs> advice fund. So why is that not considered a qualified charity? I think it's because when you put money in a donor advised fund, you've earmarked it for charitable purposes, but you haven't actually given it to the charity yet. Oh, okay. So it's not considered like a completed gift, if you will, to the charity. I, I believe so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for answering that. I've always been wondering <laughs> it and now you're right here to answer it. So I appreciate that. No problem. Great. And one of the things too, is you reference, so there's the $50,000 where it's into a, a charitable trust that you can do once in your lifetime, but you could, you also reference like a charitable remainder trust, and then also, too, there's been some changes around like the stretch IRA, which you kind of you've already discussed what's in effect today with the, the right. five and the 10 year rule. But do you maybe want to talk about if we can't stretch out those distributions over the remainder of our life? And when I say our, I mean, like the beneficiary. You mentioned you've seen where a charitable uh, remainder trust could also replace or replicate the lost ability to do a stretch IRA. Yeah, that work, That is a strategy out there. I will try to, please stop me if I'm talking at too techno geek here. Okay. Um, but it's, so basically when you have a charitable remainder trust, the money goes in and you get a stream of, of income every year out of it. So let's say you have the charitable, so you set up a charity, a charitable remainder trust as your beneficiary of your IRA, and the money goes into this trust. The trust still has to take the um, distributions within 10 years, but effectively, on a, you know, on a simple level, the money doesn't get taxed to the beneficiary of that trust until the money is pulled out of the trust. Okay. So you basically are taking out, you're taking out, emptying out that whole IRA within 10 years, but it doesn't get emptied from the trust to the beneficiary in that 10 year period, it's over a lot longer, longer period. And that's the benefit. So you, it's not stretching it out maybe quite as well as before, but it does stretch it out over more than 10 years. Yeah, which is great. I mean, because the longer you can keep the money invested and growing, whether it, you know, tax deferred and things like that, generally speaking, the more you'll retain for either yourself or the charity. Right. So it's really a strategy for someone who is charitable minded because you don't necessarily get as much under this scenario as you would if you right. just took it out, right? But it is, you know, if you have, if you're charitable minded anyway, it could be a good alternative. Yeah, absolutely. I have found, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, is just for those clients of ours who are charitably minded, it offers you a lot of flexibility because there's a lot of strategies you can do during your lifetime. If you either want to see the charity, like the outcome or the fruition of, of your donation, but it also allows a lot of flexibility. You know, you can write things in your documents to, to, uh, to plan and contribute at your death. And, um, and you can even do it if, if you're married at the second to die. So I think if you're charitably minded, definitely talk to your advisory team because it's a great way to retain 
full use and access to your assets during your lifetime, but perhaps reduce or sometimes eliminate taxes um, upon your death or the second, again, if you're married or uh, yeah, if you're married at the second spouse's death. So we have found that a pretty easy, um, actually a very palatable solution for a lot of our clients. No, it's great. And, you know, when the IRS shut down a lot of deductions, um, you know, as part of the last tax act, I mean, one of the things that they did leave us to work with was charitable. Yes, yes, you're exactly right. That's true. I think, too, they shut it down. And then, too, with the increase to the standard deduction, again, I think it's a little bit of they giveth and they taketh. Would you agree? No, definitely. Because I think, you know, a lot of people have benefited because you don't have to get to that limit. And I will right. say, personally, it's nice not having to to itemize all my non-cash charitable deductions anymore. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> that was actually a gift from the IRS. But it's, you know, but then I think when you were itemizing, at least you felt like you were getting the benefit of certain things, like you're paying your real estate taxes before that was limited. And yeah, right. And you're more, you know, and and now if you're not getting that, even though maybe you're getting larger deduction, you kind of feel like you lost something. Yeah, that's true. That is true. It's kind of like the proverbial to-do list. You're like, oh, look, I have 10 (laughs) things on my list and I crossed off all 10. Even though you're getting to the same outcome, if you had like one big goal you addressed for the day versus 10 little things, you're like, well, let's kind of look how we're getting there. So, okay, good. Is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners on the charitable front? I think those were the highlights, you know, in my mind for those. I would agree. Just wanted to make sure. I kind of stole your thunder a little bit, but as we were talking about the uh, RMDs or required minimum distributions, it used to be for a long time, it was once you hit age 70 and a half, um, you know, the IRS says, hey, you, you need to take out a certain amount, whether you want to or not. We don't care what you do with it, but but you need to take it out and potentially it's flowing, you know, it's flowing through your tax return, uh, depending on your situation, may or may not end up being taxable or to what degree. Um, but one of the things I think my takeaway from a big part of the Secure 2.0 is the government's really trying to encourage people to save for retirement and be able to contribute more. And then I think also they're they're certainly seeing this where we hear all the talks about Social Security and Medicare is generally speaking, as Americans, we're living longer, we're living healthier. So one of the things I think they did to do that was to delay or push back the ages where you're required to take out distributions. Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Right. They did that a couple of years ago when we with the first Secure Act, and we just got used to age 72 being the benchmark. And now they decided to make it even later in life. Yes. So it's... um. And kind of an interesting because the age goes to age 73, starting actually with this year in 2023. Okay. So if that is, if you reach the age of age 73, any time during 2023, correct? That is correct. Okay. And then seven years later, the age goes to age 74. That's starting with for the 2030 tax year. And then age 75 I can't believe that's only seven years away. Sorry. I, I can't believe 2030 is only seven years away. I know it's crazy, but they have a gap. So it goes seven years between the, the next increase and then three years after that. So I have no idea how they came up with that one, but. 
Okay. All right. So I was talking over you. So this year, it if you're turning 73, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you turned 72 last year, you had to start taking it last year. Right. This year, it's 73. Mm-hmm. And then it'll stay the year you turn 73 until 2030. Right. And Which then it just pointed out isn't as lot far away as we thought. I know. I, <laughs> I, it seemed like so far away. And then when you're like seven years, I'm like, wait a minute. So, okay. And then in 2030, it'll be age 74. Correct. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. And 20 and then 75 and 2033. So, okay. I, I honestly, Nicole, as I was going through all these provisions, I really think we're going to have to have a scorecard because <laughs> so many things have different implementation years and there's just so many provisions that they've changed in this last year. I agree. And then how we opened our conversation too. I mean, I, I have to say, even though I, I am a, t- a closet tax geek, I do not envy <laughs> what you have chosen for your career, Lori. I mean, you're very good at it and I'm glad people have chosen it, but not only do you need a scorecard, I feel like some stuff comes out and then they didn't really think it through. And then you're trying to do tax returns and you there's no final guidance or final... Um, I'm trying to think of what the word is when the IRS issues, uh, what is it, the guidance? Regulations. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, you're trying to do tax returns and advise clients when, I mean, the IRS hasn't even figured out, you know, who's on first. So, yeah, we're kind of getting used to that. It seems like something new every year. Yes. Well, I guess it keeps it exciting, right? There you go. So keeps us employed for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's (laughs) for sure. Job security. I agree. (laughs) Why don't we talk a little bit about you know, some of the things that they did um, will also allow for, um, you know, retirement planning on ways to either leverage or maintain your wealth. So a couple of these might be if you want to touch on like Roth IRA conversions, the qualified longevity annuity, um, you know, making sure you understand the ramifications for choosing different beneficiaries. Okay, so in these proposed regs, they're going, the IRS is doing a lot to increase Roth contributions. Which is fantastic. And can you and, just, for in case our good, listeners are the bad news. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darn it. Come on. Oh, as always. Yes, as always. Um, can you just, for our listeners, I mean, Roth's been around for a while now, but just explain mm-hmm. what, what that means. So basically, when you make a contribution to your IRA or your 401k plan, you're either making it as a traditional Contribution, which means you get a tax deduction. Okay, so so it goes in before taxes. Correct. It goes in pre-tax. And then when it comes out at the back end, you pay tax on it. Okay. When you do Roth contributions, you don't you don't get a tax deduction now, which a lot of people are reluctant to give up that deduction. But the back end, it all comes out tax-free. Yes. So that's sort of the the yin and the yang of it. Yes. And how um, and I mean we could do a whole podcast episode on this, but is there a general rule of thumb or because as you mentioned, I, I do feel like we've been programmed as a society to def- don't pay taxes now, right. defer, defer, defer. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the best for everyone if you're going to look over, you know, the rest of your lifespan. So do you have any like rules of thumb or high level how you approach this when people ask you that question? To some degree, yes. But the younger someone is, the more they really can get that benefit of that Roth growing all those years tax deferred. So I love to see young people putting money into Roths. Um, and especially other, if yeah. I can add on, especially mm-hmm. too, generally speaking, if you're younger and you're just starting out in your career, right. 
you know, you're probably at a lower tax bracket. And then as you mentioned, you've got time on your side, you invest it and you have all that tax-free compounding. Right. And I think the problem we see sometimes with someone who's, you know, hitting retirement age, and I'm sure you've seen this with your clients as well, is that the bulk of their money is in that traditional IRA bucket. Yes. And the problem with that is now you need money for something. Like you say, okay, this is what I need to live on, and that's fine. You replace your working money with your IRA income. But now you've got you've got a roof repair to make, or you've got some large hospital bill or whatever it might be. Right. Or you're going to buy a car and you want to pay mm-hmm. cash, right? So Right. And now it's like every time you're making those decisions now, you're like, oh my God, but then I have to take even more out to pay the tax on it. And it's very difficult. So I try to encourage my clients at that point, whether it's through Roth conversions or if they have, um, take some of that money from their distributions and have it in an investment account outside of that IRA. Yes. But it's nice to, it's, it's really nice to be able to work from both pools of money, some pre-tax, some after. We agree. We actually um, at Private Vista when we're advising clients, and as I said, most people are predisposed, and it's been because we've been programmed pre-tax everything, and that that's good. But mm-hmm. we like to look at it with our clients to say, let's set you up with like a three-legged stool, so you have some pre-tax, you have some um, Roth or mm-hmm. you know tax-free, and then just as you mentioned, have that after-tax account where you've paid taxes on it, you've reinvested it, and then with careful management, you know, you can generally get that out at more preferential capital gains rates, which are generally lower than your regular or ordinary income tax rates. And when we do that, Lori, we have found that's been where our clients have had the most success in being able to live the lifestyle they want, whether it's the expected month in and month out expenses or the bigger ones that come, whether, you know, you mentioned some of the things that we probably don't enjoy spending money on, (laughs) but, you know, maybe you wanted to do a big family trip for the holidays, right? Or you're celebrating a milestone wedding anniversary or birthday. We've found, yeah, our clients have the most success and we're able to do it in a most tax efficient way in working with their CPA to say, let's, you know, you're living your dream or what we call your private vista and, you know, you're doing it in the most tax efficient way. Yeah, no, I like that. And, I, and it just, just gives them so much more, like you say, flexibility and comfort to do it because it's not coming with a big tax bill. Exactly. Exactly. Because we do also have some clients who are exactly, you know, they've got real estate and they've got pre-tax money and sure, you we can we can send you the money, but exactly. We have to gross up, you know, by 30 or 40% to account for the taxes. So, all right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great point. But we can talk a little more if you want about some of the Roth provisions that were in this act because that would be fabulous. There were a few they threw in one of them. Now this is one of the not so good because they're taking it's, it's, you know, so basically you're supposed to ask me if I want the good news or bad news. Oh, sorry. Do you want the good news (laughs) or bad news first? (laughs) Well, I guess so I don't throw you off. I'll take the bad news. (laughs) So what's happening is for, you know, so a lot of employers, when you have your 401k contributions, a lot of employers have a match matching contribution you know, to get people to, to invest in the 401k, et cetera. And what they are going, and one of the provisions here is that if somebody's compensation is greater than $145,000, okay. that they're going to make them, it's going to be a mandatory Roth match from the employer. And to make that work, what happens is now that's basically going to, that match is going to have to be picked up in that employee's income right away. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. So they're getting the match where if the employer did it pre-tax, which Mm -hmm. up until now has been the only option. Correct. Right. So they would do that and that would not have any income tax implications at the time the match was made to the employee. To the employer. It won't be. They'll still get their deduction, but the employee would have to pick up the income for it. When they do as a Roth. Right, because it's a Roth. It had to be, right. and I went looking for that because I'm like, oh, they they have to pay the tax some point, and if it goes in as a Roth, you're never going to pay it at the back end. So that's what that was the question uh, we had as well because right. uh, we have a uh, well, we have many clients who are business owners, and you know they were excited about this, but that's what we were saying too before the guidance came out. Like someone right. has to pay the tax at the right. front end. So okay, I mean, so, so that's can- the bad news part, but the good news part is that some people haven't had the opportunity to do as much Roth as. They want. And this does expand the amount of money going into the Roth pool. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because just so our listeners know, while you do have your 401k, and if you've got a pre-tax portion, uh, many employers have offered you the ability to do Roth contributions. So you can have a mix of pre and post tax. And then uh, Lori just talked about how the match would work. But then when you retire, you can still, you still maintain both characteristics. So you would have two different IRAs you would roll that over in. You'd have a pre-tax or traditional IRA, and then the Roth portion would go into a Roth IRA and maintain its tax-free status status. Right. And then and yeah. Lori, this, I, I apologize, I don't want to uh-huh. interrupt, but for Roth IRAs, another benefit of that is there is not during your life, during the lifetime of the owner of the Roth, you're not required to take any type of RMD or required minimum distributions. No, that's correct. Okay. So, so it's been up till now, it's been different IRAs. You didn't have to take them, but if you had a Roth 401k, you would have to take distributions once you right. came of age, unless you rolled it. So a lot of people were being forced to, if they could take it out of the plan, roll it into a Roth IRA so that they could do this. And, you know, you'd have to be sure the account was set up and it just was more hassle. And now they're finally going to kind of match the two. Probably bad, bad choice of words to use since we're talking about matching since we're contributions. Matches, but, yeah. but basically, <laughs> like said, they're going to use this. are so simple. Exactly. <laughs> But, you know, it'll be the same treatment, basically, going, you know, for uh, where you don't have to take RMDs for any Roth account, whether it's in a 401k or an IRA. Okay. Okay, great. Was there anything else? I know I was jumping in there as well, but is there anything else on the Roth 401k match you wanted to make sure you highlighted? Yes. So there's, they're also saying that if, if they, um, they're going to make an optional Roth for matching a non-electric employer, non-elective employer contributions. So basically that would be, I believe if it's, if you have your safe harbor plans and that one, it's going to be optional. It's so like everything else, there's what the IRS allows in the pension world and then what your plan document allows. And when the, you know, in plan, the plan document always, always trumps, you know, that's, that's like your Bible. When you're an Correct. employee. Right. That's what applies to that specific plan. Right. And it could be more conservative or more narrow than what the allow the law allows for. That's that's exactly correct. And in this case, this would be an optional provision if the plan document, you know, allows it. Then the employee would have that option. So they're trying, you know, so again, they're trying to make it so there's more opportunities to put money in Roth. And it does benefit the government because they saved some tax money this year. 
Correct. But it also benefits the employees who can save more in a Roth vehicle. Yes. Yeah. And then setting them up as we talked about having more flexibility down the line. Well, we, Lori, I could spend all day. I mean, actually we could probably spend weeks talking about the secure act and then tax law in general. Um, Before we wrap up, one um, item I know that jumped out at me before even you and I were discussing this is the ability um, to do rollovers from 529 plans to a Roth IRA. Yes. So that's something new. And what's been happening. So when you have a 529 plan, which is an education plan, whether it's for your kids, your grandkids, you could set it up for yourself. Sometimes there'd be money left at the end. Like you could plan what you think your kid's going to do and they may decide not to go to college or they may get, they may surprise you and get a great scholarship. And so you didn't need to pay for as much out of pocket yourself. And so there's at times been leftover money in these 529 plans. And yes, you could change it to another beneficiary in the family. Right. But you know, there there was this feeling that, you know, maybe people aren't putting as much into these these plans because they're afraid that that money is going to get trapped. And if you take it out and it's not used for educational purposes, then there's a penalty, 10% penalty, as well as being taxable. Correct. At ordinary income tax rates, not right. capital gains. Correct. So their solution to this is they're going to, and it's a little complicated, but they're going to basically allow people with leftover money in a 529 plan to convert it into a Roth IRA. The limitation though, is you can only do it up to the Roth IRA limit each year. So in total, you can do $35,000, but it can't all be at once. It's going to have to be a little each year, depending if you have room to to make a Roth IRA contribution. Right. And I believe that that provision is not, uh, that's going to go into effect next year, correct? That one is, yes, 2024. Okay. Well, as I said, I can't believe it, but we've, uh, we're, our time together here today is coming to an end. I really want to thank you for sharing all your knowledge and your insights um, in regarding to this most recent uh, tax legislation. Before we do wrap up, though, I have a question I ask all my guests, (laughs) and it would be if you could live anywhere in the world, no constraints, no money, no time, uh, you're not tied down to needing to be somewhere because of family or things like that, where would you live and why? Well, it's funny because at one point, my husband and I were on a trip and we happened to take a day trip to Malmö, Sweden. Oh, and it okay. just was so beautiful there. And I th- I'm like, I think I texted my daughter and said, I think I found where I want to retire. Oh, um, that's I amazing. Was, I was joking, but oh. it really was. <laughs> I wouldn't really be that far away from my family. But, you know, you said if there were no family constraints. Yes, yes. And they, you know, they could always come with you or, you know, to, <laughs> if we're in the world where, you know, there's no schedules, schooling, things like that. So that's interesting. I'll have to check that out. I'm not familiar with that town. So. It may have just been the right day, and it, but it just was so peaceful and relaxing. And I'm like, I could just stay here. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. And for our listeners, I can tell it definitely was peaceful and makes her happy because she has a very big smile on her face <laughs> right now. So, all right. Well, again, Lori, thank you again for sharing your time and your wisdom and uh, your knowledge with our listeners. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Nicole, for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I hope somebody got something, learned something from it. So I'm sure they did.
Nicole and Lori, this has been absolutely fantastic. Lori, I cannot tell you how nice it is to have someone as brilliant as you go through this stuff because to me it's mind numbing, right? <laughs> I just like I'm, it's it, I end up listening to some things like this and and so much information I become pudding. So, um if for those that are listening going, man, there's a lot to learn, I need to reach out to Lori. How do they get a hold of you? Well, they can definitely give me a call. They can reach me at 847-982-0333 or if they can feel free to look go to our website, which is www michaelsilver.com. All right. Fantastic. Again, Lori, thank you so much for being here. Nicole, thank you for hosting and bringing on another amazing guest. And of course, our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Dollars and Cents podcast with Nicole Romito. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Nicole comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Vista, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax and legal advisor for related questions.